In more carefree times, Hollywood helps us think about what the end of the world might look like through the lens of disaster movies, like this clip from Netflix, How It Ends. Now, normally I'm a big fan of these kinds of films. I cut my cinematic teeth on movies like Independence Day, Armageddon, Deep Impact, and The Day After Tomorrow. And in the years since, I've enjoyed things like I Am Legend, 2012, World War Z, and Knowing. In fact, I'm so enamored with end-of-the-world movies that just a few days ago, I cajoled my wife into watching Outbreak which tells the story of an infectious disease making its way to the United States and then infecting and killing a bunch of people, which, in retrospect, probably was not my best moment as a husband, given, you know, what's happening all around us. But while right now is probably not the best time to binge on movies about how the world might end, these kinds of movie do underscore something deeply true about each of us that we all desire to understand what will happen at the end. We all want to know the end of the story. We want to know how that movie wraps up. We're creatures obsessed with completion. We want to know, we need to know how things end. And so this morning, we're going to spend some time thinking about the end, not just in the context of movies like How It Ends or even COVID-19, but more importantly, in the context of how Jesus describes the end in what's known as the parable of the sheep and the goats. Over the past several months here at Rooftop, we've been working through a series called True Story, where we've been examining the parables of Jesus and the life-changing truths about God, the world, and us that they reveal. And although there are lots of parables of Jesus, some of which we haven't got to, today actually marks the end of part one of our series on parables. There will be a second part at some point in the future, but today marks the end of our current series. And so here at the end, we're going to consider one of Jesus' parables about the end. But before we dive straight into the parable of the sheep and goats, a quick word on the context of this parable. Context, the stuff surrounding and informing our understanding of Scripture, that's been one of the major things that we've been highlighting in this series. And the context of this parable is a series of Jesus' teachings on judgment and the end found in Matthew chapters 24 and 25. In Matthew 24, 3, Jesus' disciples come to him and they ask, Jesus, what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? And in response, Jesus gives a multi-chapter explanation of the end, including two other parables that we've been talking about in this series. You might remember several years ago when this parable series began, I'm sorry, not years, months, March has been really, really long. But back, way back at the beginning of our sermon series, if you can remember, we looked at the parable of the ten bridesmaids, which talks about the importance of proper preparation and how faith requires faithfulness. Then, a couple weeks ago, Skylar talked to us about the parable of the faithful and unfaithful stewards, where we were warned to not get caught slipping. These warnings are all part of the context for this parable, which brings Jesus' discussion to the end by talking about, well, as you might have guessed, the end. So follow along with me as I read our parable for this morning, which comes from Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46, the parable of the sheep and goats. 
When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. All right, so this is a long one, but it basically breaks down like this. After warning about the coming of the end of the world for about two chapters, this parable, here at the end, Jesus tells us about Judgment Day. He tells us about the sheep and the goats, the righteous and the unrighteous, and how we're all going to be judged. And as the standard for this judgment, as the standard for this separation, Jesus describes various acts of compassion. Feeding the hungry, giving drink to the thirsty, welcoming the stranger, clothing the naked, helping the sick, visiting those in prison. These are the things that the sheep, the righteous, have done. They've done for the least of these, but the goats, the unrighteous, they haven't done these things. They haven't cared for those who are less fortunate than themselves. And after describing the scene of judgment, the story ends with the sheep and the goats going to their eternal destinations. This is how the story ends. Now, the big idea from this parable is pretty straightforward. Jesus is basically saying, do for the least what you would do for the Lord. But before we really dig into that idea, and we'll get there, I promise, I want to quickly talk about three questions that this parable raises. Three questions that are worth, I think, just a little bit of our time this morning. And the first question is this. Are we sure that this is even a parable? Most of the parables that we've been looking at in this series contain some sort of extended imagery or dialogue. But the only thing here that even seems remotely parable-like is verse 33. The king is going to come and he's going to separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. That's it. In fact, many scholars think that this isn't 
really a parable. This is just Jesus using a basic simile. He's saying that judgment day is going to be like separating sheep from goats. But whether this is a parable or not, one thing is clear. This is a true story. It's a true story with lessons for us about what the end is going to look like. The second question we need to think about is, what about the final destinations mentioned in verse 46? I know that as soon as I read that verse, some of you began thinking about your theologies of heaven and hell. Now, Christians have lots to say about heaven and hell, and if you want to talk more about that, leave us a note in the comment section, section of wherever you're watching, and we'll follow up with you. But the focus of this story is not the specifics about the places of eternal punishment and eternal life. Instead, Jesus is underscoring a different point, that the way you live your life now has implications for eternity. How we live today, how we respond to the least of these in this life is going to make a difference in the end, on Judgment Day and beyond. And the third question that this parable raises is, how hard is this separating sheep from goats thing? I mean, isn't it easy to tell a sheep from a goat? Well, let's find out. As you might remember, I have a little bit of experience with both sheep and goats, having grown up on a farm in Michigan. And so what I want us to do now is take a little quiz, a quiz I call sheep or goat. And the rules are very simple. I'm going to show you a picture such as this, and then all you have to do is, wherever you're at, all you have to do is shout out whether you think it's a sheep or a goat, all right? So here's our first question, and this is a sheep, okay? Hopefully you got that right. This is a sheep. This is a goat, all right? So you've got your baseline now. That's what a sheep looks like. That's what a goat looks like. It's gonna get a little more complicated here. What do you guys think this is? This is a goat. This is a cashmere goat, all right? Maybe, maybe some of you slipped up there. Next, also a goat. This is a North American mountain goat. All right, getting a little more difficult, a little more difficult. This is a sheep, bighorn sheep. Looks a little bit like a goat, but not a goat, a sheep. How about these guys? These guys are very special animals. They are sheep. They're Cameroon dwarf sheep. All right? And lastly, but not leastly, how about this guy? Really woolly, got some horns. This is a goat, an Angora goat. All right, so we're in church, so I'm not going to ask you to grade yourself or, be, uh, or, or submit anything there. I trust that some of you did all right with that, and some of you maybe struggled a little bit. And the point I hope that you see with these pictures is that while sometimes sheep and goats uh, are pretty evidently different, other times it's kind of hard to just look at a picture and tell which is which, which is precisely the point that our parable is making. You have to pay attention to more than appearances to tell if someone is a sheep or a goat. In fact, this is the big twist in our story. And remember, parables almost always have an important twist. The twist in this parable is that what we think 
is going to get us through judgment day is not actually what we're going to be judged on. You see, we're not going to be judged on whether we look like Christians or if we say that we know Jesus. It's not enough to just say, Lord, Lord, this parable says. In fact, according to this parable, it seems like we won't even be judged on what we believe. I'll say that again for those of you who are scrolling through Facebook as I talk. The parable of the sheep and goats says nothing about being judged based on what we believe. In this story, only those who believe and obey Jesus enter heaven. It's the works of compassion inspired by faith in Christ that get the sheep into heaven while the goats are left outside. It's feeding the hungry, providing drink to the thirsty, welcoming the stranger, clothing the naked, helping the sick, and visiting those in prison. It's actions, not beliefs, actions that get sheep on the right side in the end. Now this leads right into our parable's key lesson for us for today, and that is do for the least what you would do for the Lord. Do for the least what you would do for the Lord. In fact, say that out loud with me this morning. Do for the least what you would do for the Lord. That is, treat those in need. Treat those who are less fortunate than yourself as if they are Jesus. Look again at verse 40 of our parable. <laughs> verse 40 says, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. This parable tells us that it's in showing love to their needy neighbors that sheep showed their love for Jesus. In the words of 1 John, those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. In the church, following Jesus becomes unflinching love for people in need. While I was in the UK, I had a very real encounter with one of the least of these. Uh, there was a woman who would regularly beg at the entrance to my college. Uh, and as I walked by every day, I'd sometimes give her some spare change, but I, I really wouldn't ever interact with her. But towards the end of my time in England, uh, my cohort, we were reading through Matthew, and we got to this part of Matthew, Matthew 25. And we read this passage, and we asked ourselves, what would it be like to treat one of these beggars as if they were actually Jesus? And so I did. The next time I saw this lady, I invited her to tea. That's what you do in England. You take people to tea. And as we were talking, I discovered that she needed some groceries. So we went to Tesco, which is the English equivalent of schnooks, uh, and, we got her some f and I got her some food. And then she said, thank you, and I never saw her again. Do for the least what you would do for the Lord. You see, faith in Jesus as the risen Son of God has to lead us to be loving compassionate people of action. We have to be loving towards our neighbors. James, the brother of Jesus, he puts it this way. He says, show me your faith by what you do. In the end, we're going to be judged for how we showed compassion to those less fortunate than ourselves. That's the standard for judgment day that this parable talks about. But notice that this is true not because our good deeds save us, but it's because by showing love through those deeds, we reveal our true love for Jesus. To again quote 1 John, we love because he, Jesus, first loved us. 
if we truly follow Jesus, will take hold of the divine grace that produces the obedience that God demands and will do for the least what we would do for the Lord. Now, the message of this parable applies to all of us. It applies especially to those of us who call ourselves Christians. Because it's not enough to just say or think that. I hope you see that in this parable. It's not enough to just say you know who Jesus is. You have to live it out. So how are you doing this morning? Are you a sheep or a goat? Are you loving the least of these? Are you showing compassion and mercy to people who aren't able or maybe even aren't willing to take care of themselves? Are you following Jesus with your actions and not just your words? Are you loving the least of these like you would love Jesus? Of course, saying that we should do for the least as we would do for the Lord leads to a really important question. How? How do we do for the least what we would do for the Lord? I think there are two things for us to think about this morning. First, we show love for the least of these by getting our thinking straight. We need to think rightly about God, about our world, about our neighbors, and about ourselves, because when we think wrongly about any of those things, we eventually act wrongly too. Ideas have consequences for the way that we live. And most critically, according to this parable, we need to get our thinking straight about who the least really are, who the disadvantaged, who the needy really are. In recent weeks, there's been lots written and posted about COVID-19 and whether it's appropriate to close things down and potentially damage our economy for the sake of saving the elderly or people who are already sick. Let me be really super clear this morning. A person's value is not measured by their economic output or their future contributions to society. A person is valuable and worthy of our love because they are made in the image of God and have the same dignity and personhood that we all have. <coughs> when we hear that thousands have died because of the coronavirus, those aren't abstract numbers. Those are people loved by God whose deaths we should be grieving. Whatever you think about our culture's response to this pandemic, don't dismiss the value of life. Get your thinking straight. Do for the least what you would do for the Lord. The second way that we show love for the least of these is by getting our actions right. This is, of course, a huge part of what this parable is calling us to do. It's not enough to just think the right thing. We have to live the right way by living in service to others. In fact, this parable this morning has long been one of the major passages that has called Christians to works of charity and compassion. For thousands of years, the church has recognized that the good news of Jesus is not escapism. We don't believe in Jesus so that he can just whisk us off to heaven without a care in the world. No, the good news of Jesus means, in the words of the prophet Isaiah, proclaiming good news to those who are in need, binding up the brokenhearted, proclaiming liberty to captives, and release from darkness to prisoners. 
That's why as part of normal life here at Rooftop, we love and we serve our community through ministries to those who are hungry, to those who are homeless, to those who are orphaned and widowed, those who are without families, those without homes, and those in need of financial help. That's why right now, in this time of troubles, we're especially committed to showing God's love to our community. It's why we're reaching out to our neighbors, why we're partnering with the Afton schools to make sure that kids have enough food to eat. It's why we offer help to those who contact us. It's why we continue to collect food and serve at the Afton Christian Food Pantry, because we know that we're called to do for the least what we would do for the Lord. And so this leads me to ask you a very simple application question this morning. How are you loving the least of these? How are you loving the least of these? I know that COVID-19 and social distancing pose plenty of challenges to our normal way of life. It would be really easy right now to say to ourselves, self, I'm going to stay home and I'm not going to worry about anyone else. But that's precisely what this parable warns us against. We're called to love those in need in smart, socially distant ways, sure, but we're still called to be loving people. We've been presented with a unique opportunity to show the love of Jesus to a hurting and scared and sick world. Are we going to take that opportunity? Because we can still show love to the least of these. And we can still share the hope of the good news of Jesus that we have within us. That because the Son of God lived and died and rose from the dead, which is what this week of Easter is all about, that because of that, we don't have to fear death anymore. And that as we, don't, and as we don't fear death, we can love and we can serve. And as we love and serve, we can know it's not just us loving and serving in our own power. It's actually the power of the risen Jesus in us. It's not all about us. It's about loving the least as we would love the Lord. Rooftop, this is how those following Jesus have lived for centuries. As in the year 2020, in the year 1374, plague broke out in central Italy. And as thousands fell sick, many others fled or kept to themselves, but not one young woman. Rather than fleeing, a woman named Catherine from the little village of Siena ministered to the sick, risking her life for the sake of helping the least of these. And in a letter, Catherine called the church to action. She wrote, respond to the Holy Spirit who is calling you. I tell you, come, come, come. Don't wait for time because time isn't waiting for you. Let's take Catherine's example and Jesus' message from this parable seriously this morning. Don't wait. Let's do for the least what we would do for the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning thankful for your son Jesus and for the hope that he brings to those who follow him and who obey him even in difficult times. Help us to take the message of this this parable seriously, Father. We recognize that faith in your son isn't some, some static thing. It's not just fire insurance. It's not just something that's in our heads and is merely intellectual. We recognize that you call us to be sheep. 
to follow you, to have a living faith and to show that faith through loving service to those who are in need all around us. Father, there are lots of people all around us who are in need right now. There are lots of people who are affected by the coronavirus and its effects. People who are scared, who are sick, who are grieving. Those who are going to work every day, not sure if they're going to get sick when they're there. Save us, Lord. Preserve us. And give us courage to serve. To be your hands and feet. To care for the needy. To love for the sick. To do for the least of these in our community what we would do for you. Father, even as we celebrate the death and the resurrection of your son Jesus this week, keep the good news of his defeat of death ever on our hearts and minds as we love the least of these. And now, as we do every Sunday and along with your church throughout the ages, we pray and we confess together the words of our common faith, the words of the Apostles' Creed, which will be on the screen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to the dead. The third day he rose again and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen.